Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Building a Bridge. My name is Jesse Brizendine. My name is Jared Countess. And our mission is to empower people to use their voice to build a bridge beyond race relations, creating unity and understanding and effectively raising the collective consciousness of humanity. Last week, we had a continued conversation about perception versus reality and how we construct and see and experience reality. And then we also began to introduce policing and just shared some introductory opinions and observations from both my perspective and Jared's perspective. And then what are we going to touch on today, Jared? So um, we got, we asked a group some questions and uh, we got some great responses and we got some good material for today. Um, we're going to start off with uh, one of our group members, uh, again, Etienne Archer. Uh, he shared um, this piece from the uh, University of Chicago Law School. And they did a study of sorts where they um, want to review um, policing. It may be possible um, solutions to, you know, what is the issue. Um, but really what I want to stick with, I think what we should stick with today is the, is the general premise and the opening introduction, right? I'm just going to read like this one sentence and I'm going to kind of summarize the rest, right? So um, they said, society vests law enforcement with the responsibility to protect public safety and enforce the law when necessary, right? And then they go on to talk about for these reasons, right? We give law enforcement officers a great amount of power. We give them the power of life and death, so to speak. And we give them, um, we trust them, right? To exercise that power judiciously or, you know, um, to, with empathy and compassion, right? Um, and this goes back into what we were talking about with the justice versus compassion piece, right? So again, I'm going to read that sentence one more time for you guys, right? So society vests law enforcement with the responsibility to protect public safety, right? To protect public safety, right? So we know, we know, we understand as society, as the public, that my safety is not guaranteed, right? I am not necessarily, and it's not just not safe because I could get hit by a car. It's not just not safe because, you know, um, there could be some natural disaster that happened, but there may be actual people out there in the world, other people that wish to harm me or take things away from me that aren't theirs, right? That wish to step and impose on my rights as another human being. So I trust law enforcement officers. I trust police to protect my safety, to protect my rights. Right. And because I know how dangerous the world is, I give them an immense amount of power when it comes to doing that. Right. I trust them to, to, to make the right decision in life or death situations. I trust them to, to, if they have to take a life to be doing it for the right reasons. And I think that is like the essence of why we're even talking about this right? It's because one, we see the need for police, <laughs> right? To protect public safety, right? As a society, we know it's true. We need that, right? There are dangerous folks in the world, people who would, who would seek to hurt us for their own gain, right? Or just because they want to hurt people, 
right? They just don't like life and they want to hurt people, yeah. right? And then um, because we know that in order to protect my safety and protect my life, right? I have to allow someone to have the, 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 the power basically of life over death. I have to trust someone else, a force, a group of people with that. And so um, that's kind of like the complexity of things we're dealing with right now. So guys, so this is going to get fucking messy, messy. And it's messy because we're dealing with heavy shit. We're dealing with heavy shit. It's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's a lot of trust between society and the public and police officers, and they are giving a lot of power. You know what I mean? If you want to think about one man having, you know, a crazy, insane amount of power over you, over your family, over anything else like that, police officer has a, has a, has a lot of power. It's from the moment they pull you over anything like that. And, and I'm going to dig a little bit later, but I want to, I want to hear, um, you know, uh, Jesse's, Jesse's take on a, you know, with the power that we give police, right. <laughs> and, and, and the responsibility that we ask them to take on, right. Um, as, as protectors of public safety and, you know, I'll, I'll touch on what I feel about where they make mistakes. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll leave it. I'll, I'll do that first. If you don't want to get into it. Yeah. I think a couple of things, first of all, one of our intentions for today too, is as we involve this discussion is also to offer up our observational solutions, you know, ideas, suggestions. And remember too, this is coming from two human beings with two opinions. You know, you don't have to take these uh, these as facts or gospel or anything like that. These are just opinions from two people. And what I invite you all to do as you listen to this discussion conversation today is, is observe yourself. Observe if you're listening to prove or disprove what we say to agree or disagree. Or are you listening and watching to learn, to understand, to try to hear and, and see why we believe what we believe, why we say what we're saying. Because regardless of if you agree with us or not, that's not really the point. The point is, is for this to, all, to be a conversation for all of us to expand our awareness, to expand our capacity to grow. Because I think one thing we can all agree on is if we keep in, if we keep arguing over, over opinions and whose opinion is right, whose opinion is wrong, and more importantly, we keep trying to prove other people wrong, it's gonna be very hard for any of us and all of us to work together. And part of a building a bridge is to say that we may not see 100% eye to eye, but we can see the humanity in each other and it's the humanity, it's the humanist that, that unites us, that's the bridge we build, and it's the humanist that allows us to build cooperation. If we, if we, I think if we start going forward and we're making policies and doing things without cooperation, or we're doing it out of fear and anger, we're just going to set up for a bigger problem down the road. I'll st also start by saying that my belief is, is I believe that the majority of police officers are good people and that the majority of what the police does is really good stuff in, in the world. And I invite you all to just sit with that feeling of how you feel right now after hearing me say that. Do you immediately just want to discount and discredit everything I'm going to say afterwards? Does it get you angry and frustrated? Are you nodding in approval saying, yeah, all right, preach on brother. Just notice that. 
And the reason I'm inviting you to notice that right now is because I want you to notice how quickly it is that all of us jump to judgment and start to form a bias. Notice how quickly your judgments of me right now after making that statement, which is actually probably in this day and age, very controversial, triggers your bias, triggers your, your own natural tendency to judge. And that's not saying that's good, bad, and right, and wrong. We all do it. It's just to draw attention to it and notice how now you are changing your experience of me, good, bad, right, wrong, better, or worse, and whatever I'm going to say afterwards. And this is a crucial component in really what the essence of, I think Jared and I have talked about building a bridge is, is it's about recognizing these, this humanness in all of us, not to be ashamed of it, not to have to try to defend it away or hide it away or make us seem like we don't do this and others do this, but just to acknowledge it and, and to acknowledge that we all judge, we all have these biases and it's by acknowledging it, I always tell people awareness precedes transformation. And it's in our awareness of our behaviors and how we're responding to certain cues, certain things, uh, that we are going to be able to start to transform our behaviors and really be able to collaborative, collaborative, I can't talk. You know what the word I'm trying to say is work together. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll say all that. And then I'll also say too, that I fully acknowledge that I think that there are officers who abuse that power. I think there, there are some not so good people out there having that power that Jared just are, that Jared just spelt out for us. I think that there are some people out there who have been tragically misplaced in that position. I do think that they are the minority, not the majority. I will tell you, I, I've, you know, the, my personal experience with the police officers I know and consider friends are really decent people. And their friends who I've hung out with who are also in law enforcement are really decent people. And I also understand too that the challenge that officers face when they are called to do such a broad scope of things. I, you know, hearing what you just read off, Jared, my first impression of it is, you know, God, that's a lot of power. But then I also read and God, it's so ambiguous in the sense of what they're having, what they're being called to do every single day and, and the, the scope of it. I think that's an, it's enormously challenging for it in the sense of there's a lot of emotion they have to manage. You know, we can all think of a time of just how our emotions rise maybe when we're getting in a spirited debate with someone over the keyboard and it feels like they're attacking us and we feel our adrenaline start to go. We feel our physiology change, our bodies tighten. We, our image of them starts to change where we think that they're, we no longer see them as a human, but we see them as this entity that represents something that I don't believe in or that they're just trying to attack me. And we're having that heart racing adrenaline response from a keyboard. And I can imagine like what that must be like to go out in, in person and be in combative situations where you're dealing with humans all the time. And also, especially in these day and ages where much of the public discourse, it seems, is very pro, how do we demonize the police? I, I remember seeing a scene a couple years ago where, where I live in Southern California, it's a very volatile area for forest fires. California no longer really has a, a fire season. It's a year round thing. And it was really interesting to see the two groups of responders where when firefighters were going through town, they had all these thank you firefighter communities came out. Thank you firefighters. Thank you firefighters, you know, celebrating them, cheering them as heroes for doing their job. 
And when a police officer would bust a gang raid, you stop something horrible from happening, there wasn't the same community response of thank you, police officers, thank you. Uh, that's not to say that neither group is doing their job their job to get praise. It's also just to, again, recognize and acknowledge how we, how we treat these two groups. You know, and we could go down the list from that too. I think that all of us have been benefited probably tremendously in our lives from the police presence because they've stopped a lot of bad shit that we haven't seen. And I think that is there, is there a potential for a future where we don't need to lean so heavily into the police to, to decide good, bad, right from wrong to serve as that, that authority out in the field. Yeah, maybe we could get there. But I think for us to get there, we have to start first taking responsibility for what we've all done to contribute to society as it is now. And this becomes that building a bridge piece too. It's like, what does that look like to, to evolve how police are policing to evolve how, where and how we rely on police and what that, what that, you know, to be clear on what that expectation is of them. And then how are we going to empower police? And when I say empower police, it's not empower police in the sense of giving them more power to do more of more stuff. It's empower them to be able to address some of their own biases their own judgments to be able to deal with the stuff that they have to deal with every day to be able to set them up to succeed so that they can do what they're meant to do and not in the situations that we find them in where it brings policing to a, to a, to a controversial place that it's often is now. That was, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was kind of like, um, a little bit. Um, and uh, so there couple things that I want to touch on from what you said, like, and it, this is, I wish, I wish we could debate on this. Um, but I believe the majority of police officers are good too. And I believe that police majority wise do a good job. Um, I do. I know that the police job in certain communities is different. Um, and so that is, you know, in terms of like, or how they view themselves as having to do their job, right? Um, in terms of like, what the, what's at stake, right? Um, you know, what am I supposed to be doing, right? Or how do I, how do I make this public safe, right? Is, is a, uh, is a, is a, is different, different communities. Um, Sorry guys, I want to figure out how I wanted to make the, the leap. Sorry, give me a second. Um, one of the things that uh, I won't, like I said, I don't, I don't want to touch too deeply into that um, the University of Chicago law thing, right? But one of the things that it does is it tries to seek to give police guidelines, right? That's the goal of this whole study, but it's what kind of guidelines, um, rules of engagement can we provide police with, right, for the amount of power that we give them, right? For the use of lethal force and things like that. And so it actually tries to compare it to you, uh, UN, right? Um, military forces. UN usually operates as a peacekeeping force in areas of strife, 
right? And they have certain rules for when you can use deadly force, right? You can't shoot at these guys until they shoot at you, right? But there is, here, here are some issues with the difference between the UN operating as a peacekeeping force and our domestic police force. The difference is those peacekeeping forces are there to stop major atrocities and killings, right? They're, st they're there to stop genocides. They're there to stop, to, to, to defend people against warlords and, you know, really raving bandits and things like that, right? Um, and they protect, right? They actually, they, they, they more so sit in a spot and I'm gonna protect this village. I'm gonna protect this building. I'm gonna protect this group of people. I'm gonna protect this diplomat, right? And they're protectors, right? So to speak. They're not going out in the community and attacking that force. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not there to kill the warlord. Hmm. Does that make any kind of sense? Uh, they're protecting versus responding, essentially. They're, yes, right? We're just trying to contain it to this area and make sure that these group of people are safe. It's not because we'll leave it up to that nation's military or that nation's whatever force to actually get the bad guys. We just want to protect the innocent people that get caught in the crossfire. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, absolutely. Our police force domestically is not asked to do the same job. Their job is not as specific. Their job is more ambiguous, right? It, 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 their job is, is more complex, right? So to a certain extent in poor black neighborhoods, right? I'm just gonna tell you the truth. The police are there. They act more so like a containing force just keeping it I'm keeping it 100 with you like I don't think people know this but the police more so like if you go to I'm from Baltimore I'm, I'm only for, I only lived in one like messed up city my whole life right um but I did end up I did my buddy had a bachelor party in Atlanta so we went to Atlanta and this was after I lived in Arizona for a long time and one thing that I noticed or that is from living in where I live at in a, a nice area of, called Gilbert, Arizona. Oh, I'll let you guys know where I live. Nobody come see me. Anyway, so I live in this place called, not that I don't like you, you just, you know, just, you're not going to find me. It's a big place. <laughs> not only anybody from the group knocking on my door, unless I invite you. Okay, anyway, I live in this town called Gilbert, Arizona. It's a very nice, it's a very nice city. Uh, and, you know, I see police speed trap, things like that, right? But when I went to um, Atlanta for my friend's um, bachelor party and we're, I'm driving, um, I'm like, I notice how police are set up and you see two police cars here and a police car here, police car here. And they basically separated, they were at the borders between the bad area and the better area. Am I making any kind of sense? And so, and I forgot what that was like. So when people are like, so, so there's a, so there's a, a, a people say that certain neighbors, you live, you live in a police state, right? And, and other people like, like people like they're from Gilbert, Arizona and all that kind of stuff would never understand what that means, 
right? Where, you know, where it's like, you always see the police operating in a, a containment fashion, right? Does that mean that there's not drug dealing going on inside of those areas or no? Does that mean they're not there to respond quickly if there's a shooting, right? Or decently fast? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> but, they're, but they're there in a, what are you doing? Don't leave this area. Like, so I, I told you like one time I got pulled over. Um, oh no, I didn't tell you the story. So I got pulled over one, the only, only time I had a police officer pull a gun like on me. Um, I got pulled over. I literally just left my house and left and, and drove uh, past my curb. But I lived, I lived in a neighborhood that was on the outskirts of a bad neighborhood, right? So I lived in one of those border. I was in the good side, but literally like you could like give him a jump, right? And you're like, not in good, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, so you're like, oh, wow. Like, um, and if you ever drove, driven through a rough city or something like that, you'll notice the transition. You're like, it'd be like, it'd be like a bar- it'd be a, like a block or so or yeah. two block yeah. barrier. And then you're like, what the fuck? Where I've just went out with in Iraq. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I just in a foreign zone, right? Or like, or even like if you, USC, uh, is USC in Compton? Is it Compton? I don't remember. It's something. Like USC Compton versus Compton Compton. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, oh shit. Like, no, this is this is really it. Like, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? The people just changed. The faces yeah. I saw a smile. No more smile. Okay, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and so I, you know, he pulled, he, he pulled me over because I didn't, I, I looked like I was from the bad neighborhood and I just, I just, you know, did whatever I did. And so anyway, they pulled me up, like literally just leaving my curb and you know, I didn't turn my lights on right away. And uh, anyway, so uh, super nervous, the cop was jumpy, but that's, that's how they act. It's like, you can, we'll deal with the crime in there. You can commit it. And when we get there, we'll get there, we'll do it, right? Or if we have a lead, we have information, right? We will, um, you know, come out and, you know, try to get a drug dealer or something like that. But we're not there to, we're there to contain the violence, not to deter it, right? Cops don't walk beats. <laughs> right. that's not happening you know what I mean they're not you know what I mean it's it's not it's not that kind of a deterrent right it's not you know it, it's, it's just like hey don't don't bring that shit from that neighborhood to this neighborhood right it's good people over here you stay where you are right and um and so it's it's like I only the police are only coming there to break up a violent situation or something like that and they're not there to really in essence protect although i think i've said it before you do feel safer when you walk out your house I'm, matter of fact i would bet i'm gonna ask you this have you ever walked out of your house and saw a police car just parked in your neighborhood with a police officer in it yeah actually it was it was uh maybe about and it was recent too within the last year or two Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> but no, but it's funny you asked that because it was such a random thing. And <laughs> I was all 
wait, what's this, what's this guy doing here? And it was funny because I was barbecuing and I had kind of a buzz. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> out and, and uh, I was wondering, oh no, you know what it was? I just, okay, I know now. So I was going to barbecue and we had rented a U-Haul truck to empty out the garage because there's a bunch of crap in there. There's a bunch of crap from different people. And so we were emptying it out to clear it out. And I was barbecuing while I was doing it, having a couple beers while I was doing it. And the cop was there because they had gotten a 911 call for somewhere on the, the, on the block. But then he sees us like emptying the garage out and he's like, Hey, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and so then I was talking to him and then he was trying to find this address, you know, and, and it was funny. Then I like walked him over and was like, oh, I think it's one of these places right here. And then I asked him afterwards, I said, Hey, do you want to barbecue? You know, no. and then, <laughs> but that was, but that was it. But it was like, so there, I, yeah, that was, that's a long way of answering your question. Yes, it would happen, but it was a completely random thing. Well, it was a, it was a normal occurrence. Yes. Where yes. I was from. Right. And so it was a normal occurrence. And like, I, and my point was, don't get me wrong. Like, I would actually feel safer, right, when they were there, right? Like I said, nobody's going to do a drive-by with a cop sitting, you know, across the street, right, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it was a, it was a, it was at least, I can't say, I can't say one time a week, but probably, you know, a couple of days out of the month, you would see a cop like there was a school across the street this is my like my middle school early high school years elementary late elementary school you know um neighborhood you would see it there was elementary school across the street um and you would see a cop parked in in the parking lot right or maybe just outside of it right and wasn't a school cop he was like a, a you know patrol cop right and he would just park there because it was a it was a highly active drug corner here and it was a highly active drug corner over there. And you know, every so often they was just like, we're gonna park here and we're gonna see if we can't shut y'all down for like the next couple of days. Right. <laughs> and so um again, it's not like it's not like I'm not he's not walking the neighborhood, right? Um, and it's not like they're like those guys aren't like, well, we'll just open up shop two blocks down the street where you can't see us. Right. But he's like, we'll just park right here for the next couple of days. You know, it's hot outside. People are getting anxious. Just going to see if we can't, you know, and just show presence. Right. But it's and um, and so that's what I mean. Like people feel like they're like living in a police state. Right. Mm. Or like I told you, this is the same neighborhood where I told you my mom, my, my grandma, you know, the police made a kiss, fresh cheeks and all that kind of stuff. And um and um, so that that is that is it. Jesus Christ! I don't know how I got. I think I fucking lost my point train of thought. But <laughs> but that is the the uh, difference in pleading in policing. Um, I don't think that versus the UN, it, huh? Versus the UN peacekeeping. Well, ver- yeah, versus the UN, the, the ambiguity of 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 like so like your, the job is not the same. The job is essentially not the same. We're asking our domestic police to do much more than a UN peacekeeping force 
is asked to do. Now, is the UN peacekeeping force usually operating in a war zone? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. But are they there to stop the war in terms of like actually fighting? They don't pick a side, right? They're literally there to be like, well, this is our presence. You can shoot at this guy across the street and I'm not legally allowed to shoot at you for the most part, right? Unless I get an order from above to protect the people, right? To protect this group, right? I, you know, I'm hands off. I'm, these are people I'm protecting. I'm here to kind of deter violence. And police in some neighborhoods, they, they kind of act like that, but we really want them to protect us, right? We really want them to, 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 to be there to make us feel safe and then to hunt down the bad guys and catch them, right? <laughs> we want them to actually go after the bad guys. So once we tell them to go after the bad guys, right, and we want them to do that, then the rules change, right? Because the bad guys are the bad guys. They're the ones that seek to do us harm. And so now you are hunting them, right? And it's, 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 best, it's basically predator versus predator. It's not predator versus prey, right? And so you, you, what, what is, is, what are we asking um, from police when we do that as far as their perception is concerned, right? Because um, I, I, I don't want to get too deep. I want to. I want to let you go again. Because um, if I ask you to be predator versus predator, right? What what perception? What glasses do you put on? Right? What glasses do you have on now? What color? What color lens are you seeing the world through? Right? Because I'm I'm asking you to actively seek out the predators in my society and deal with them. So what's your lens when you look, when you look into the world? And what, 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 kind of, what kind of rules can we place on you so that you can actively discern who predators are, how dangerous they are, right? <laughs> and what the appropriate level of force that we give you is. Um, or, We've given you we've given you free range of levels of force. So what's the, <laughs> so how, do, how do you how do we what can we what kind of rules can we set in place to uh, to help you mitigate when to escalate to the most lethal of force, right? Um, and uh, and so that's 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 you know that's the difference. We're not we, you're not. All you're doing with a UN peacekeeper is you're asking them to protect the prey. You're not asking them to hunt the predator, right? And so once we ask somebody to hunt the predator, the rules change. And we have to be really um, smart about that. Um, and I, and I, I, I really met the other police state thing and, you know, um, to kind of help people understand what other people's views of the police is, police are, right? In in terms of, 
you know, waking up and seeing a police officer across the street, you know, multiple times in a day and being like, you know, like, you know, feeling that pressure of this guy with all this power over top of you just right there looking at you, every, <laughs> you know, face. But okay, but uh, sorry, I, I, I don't know. I think I left you a lot to unpack and I went all kinds of tangent. But um, that's, that's, you know, what do we do when, we, when we're asking people to hunt a predator, right? What kind of rules can we give them, right? And, and how do they see what glass, what lens are we asking them to put on? right? When, when we tell them to, to do that. Yeah. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need police, right? In a perfect world, because we would all be taking care of ourselves. We'd all be self-sufficient. We'd all be able to, we'd all have found ways to meet our needs in a way that is not require the hurting or harming of others. Unfortunately, we don't live in that world yet. I was having a conversation just the other day with a young lady, 21, barely 21 years old. And she and her friend were house sitting a home in a very affluent area and 15 guys and two or three different vehicles pulled up. A group of them jumped over the fence. They were all had like same facial marking tattoos. Everything had been following them for a number of hours saying that they were going to get them all effed up. And then they were going to have, basically they were sex traffickers. And then luckily these girls were able to get into their car and flee. And these guys were chasing them in the car for an ongoing period of time. So in a perfect world, that would never happen. Right. And those are things that we usually don't hear about. Usually the, that's what the police deals with. I just happened to hear about it because I happened to know the people. And, you know, I, I, I could tell, I think lots of different stories like that, as we all could, if we all, we sat down, listened to the human experience and the times when we've had to have police be present to help in really messed up situations. I know we want to talk on solutions. I want to make sure we acknowledge Jamie had put a couple things in there too. And, and Patricia had put some stuff in there about mental health and I'll, I'll, I'll just touch Patricia's really quick that I'm going to touch on mental health when I, when I propose like some of my ideas. Uh, Jamie had mentioned uh, crime statistics comparison between whites and blacks. If there's a difference, I, Jamie, I'll just say for me, I don't really feel comfortable touching on that because I'm not sure which statistics specifically you're talking about. And it's, that's a little too broad for me to jump in without knowing. So if you want to elaborate on which statistics specifically, I'd be happy to share my opinion on that. But she did say right to due process, innocent until proven guilty, and profiling an historical aspect of its development. So I'll just quickly touch on those so we allow us for some time with, with opinions of solutions for both you and I. As I understand right to due process, that was a way when our judicial system was established, was, is, it was a way with the intent of trying to remove as much bias as possible. Or, and the same with innocent till proven guilty. It was the idea that even though we may know that someone may have done it, or we may wish that that person was the person that done it, we're going to still afford them whatever affair is, an opportunity to not be that. Because when that was, we understand that all of us have biases and judgments. It just the same as <clears throat> I was I was happy to learn actually that I think it was Minnesota maybe one of the states recently is starting to and if somebody's in the 
legal vocation, and you can speak better to this, please correct me, but they were going to start dismissing the validity of eyewitness testimony for having it be a, a primary source of evidence, simply because we've now had enough studies going about how biased we can all be. If any of you want to experiment with this yourself, ask yourself what color t-shirt did your husband, wife, son, daughter, friend leave the house wearing Tuesday, two Tuesdays ago? And just see how accurately you can remember that. And I'm willing to bet that for most of us, unless it was some sort of significant day or event, we probably can't. Yet we will often use these kinds of markers as ways to describe suspects or people who create criminal acts. And this, I think, one of the challenges with this is, as great of intention as it may be, is it evokes all of our biases. It evokes all of our biases is that whenever we're in a situation, a place, a dynamic, that we are meaning-making machines. And so we are always assessing things, depending if we're not on our phones, right? But we're assessing things in, in that part of our brain where we're just sitting there and saying, this is most similar to this, this is most similar to that, this is most similar to this. We're not really having a, a real accurate experience of what's going on around us because we're trying to always make sense of stuff. And so unless something out of the extraordinary happens, we're usually not going to notice really minute details, which is why that thing becomes so challenging. And again, we can experiment with this with our loved ones. And most of us will fail dramatically with it. Again, that's not to say it's right, wrong, good, bad, or anything. It's just to acknowledge our humanness and what we do. Which leads to profiling and historic aspect of its development. You know, again, I, this is a little vague, so I don't want to get too much into it, but I'll just give you kind of my, my assumptive opinion based off of where I think you're going with this. We all profile. I mean, we all do. It's just, it's an innate thing of humans. It's how we, again, we make sense. It's how we decide if we like someone, if we don't like someone, if it's somebody we want to spend our time with, if we don't want to spend our time with. We form judgments of people within the first five to nine seconds of seeing them. You know, most of us have made a decision when somebody walks through the door, if we've never met them before, if we like them or not to some degree, and we may not like to acknowledge it. It's definitely not a nice part of it, but it is. This is why in any sort of sales or vocational, when you're doing a monetary exchange with customers, they always say that first impressions carry so much merit and we can never get a, we never get a second chance to make a first impression because the human animal is making that fast with judgment. And we do it in many ways, simply what Jared talked about earlier, that predator versus prey, predator versus predator. We're assessing things. Is this safe for me? Is this a fight or flight biological response? Is this somebody who might be a potential mate? And is it somebody who could be someone who could advance and advance the species? In our evolved consciousness, we may not like to acknowledge the animalistic part of ourselves to some degree, but it's just to recognize that we have these biological responses. We have these biological biases, we might even call them. And we can all work to improve on them. You know, I think, again, awareness precedes transformation as we become aware of it. That's where we become able to transform. And so the invitation for each of us is to recognize that it's not good, bad, right, or wrong, but just that we're doing it and then asking ourselves, what can I learn from this situation? Do I like how I'm responding? If not, how can I improve? So profiling and historical aspect of it, I'm not sure the history because I'm not sure what the span or scope of it is, but I could say this, familiarity is going to often bring more familiarity. So 
a police officer that is dealing with crime in a certain area, whether the person's skin color is black, white, brown, green, blue, purple, whatever it is, is likely going to start to form some sort of bias based off of the skin color. If we just want to go skin color, but if you, you know, we watch back to what Jared and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago with the people in the street corners, there's often more, more things there than just skin color. They're going to likely form some sort of bias off of that. They're going to likely perform, begin to profile from that. You know, we do it oftentimes with ourselves is when we ask someone, oh, hey, describe the person you're talking to. Usually the first thing we'll do is we'll talk about their height and then we'll say maybe color of their skin or something like that or whatever it is. Or if we're at a party and, and we say, oh, yeah, I was talking to so-and-so, blah, blah, who's that? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, well, he was the black guy. He's the white guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, these are things that we do all the time. And it's something that, you know, us having this from a place of being more conscious of one another is a place of privilege to be able to do this. Because we're not having to make split second, often life and death decisions and judgments. We're having the ability to sit there and process, push pause, take a minute, take a breath, go up and go pee, get a drink of water. As we assess what's being shared and said right now, we're not out on the street having to make a life or death decision. And in that split second decision, we may have kids that we don't want to orphan, friends that we don't want to put down, a, a spouse that we don't want to widow or widow, widow or widower, you know, those kinds of things. Again, this isn't to say that, that I think that there's some definitely a lot of work that needs to be done to change policing and, and to evolve that where there's not necessarily that, that predator versus predator psychology. And can we get there? Yeah, maybe, but it's going to take some work and it's going to take, I think, uh, for a lot of us to really, again, start to examine ourselves because as much as I believe that most of the policing is good and they do a lot of good, I also believe that our society right now is a reflection of our own behavior. I believe our society is a reflection of many of our own dysfunction. I think that many of us in our in our lives, we have some aspect of our life that we are not happy with or happy with ourselves. that we have some, you know, guilt, resentment, whatever that is, self-loathing that has to do with ourself, disappointment maybe of where we are. And because oftentimes we're not willing to deal with ourselves, it becomes much easier to project our problems onto other people, you know, to vilify our friends or family, our job or the politicians, whoever it is. And in so doing, what happens is this creates a dynamic where it becomes very difficult to engage in discourse and dialogue, but rather it becomes a dynamic where it usually is who's going to yell louder and loudest, who's going, to, who's going to be the most aggressive in their language, who's going, to be so, who's going to be the quickest to find the faults and failures of others. Because what that does is it creates a convenient narrative of where we are no longer dealing with human beings, but we're now dealing with labels. Trump supporter, Trump hater, Republican, Democrat, pro-police, anti-police, black, white, racist, not racist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I do not believe we're going to be able to solve any problems or make any sort of advancement if we are dealing with labels and boxes because we're all human beings. And until we can get past those and get to the humanity of it all, I think that's where we've truly built a bridge. 
And that's where we start to bring some solutions. And so I don't know, Jared, if you want to touch on that at all, or you want to transition to solutions or. I'm, I'm going to talk about solutions too. I'm definitely going to touch on um, some of the things that you just touched on. Um, so the one reason why I wanted to bring up the, the predator versus predator and what the difference is between what we ask our police to do versus what the UN as a peacekeeping force um, does um, is because we are essentially placing more responsibility on our police. And we're asking them to hunt, to actively go out and seek out and recognize predators and predatory behavior, right? Um, and stop them, right? So in a sense, from step one, we're asking them to start to profile people. Um, the issues, and I think this is what Janie meant when she said the history of pro profiling, the issues with that um, is, is how the black male is painted in American society, yeah. right? And has been historically painted in the black society. And if you want to go, she probably wanted to talk about um, slave catchers and stuff like that and how, you know, first police forces were formed. I don't want to dig on that too much. Um, matter of fact, I don't really want to dig on that at all. We should do a whole. We should do a whole video on that. I think that would be really powerful to do at some point. Okay. Yeah, and, and so that and so people can understand the, the difference yeah. in the relationship between police force and, and black community a little bit more. Um, but I just want to to dig on you know what kind of responsibility that is to give an individual right to we actively profile already, like you said, looking for mates, looking for you know dangers, right, all this kind of stuff but to give the job in the job description of an individual is to essentially profile, yeah. to look for predators and predatory behavior, right? And so that's when I say with, with lens, they're looking at the world through, they're looking, they're searching already. From the moment you get pulled over by a cop, right? He is, most, some cops aren't, but other cops assuming that you could be somebody else. Yep. Right. You know, a cop sees you speeding. Um, sometimes, you know, you know, their, their assumption is not going to be your house is on fire. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we don't ask them to assume that your house is on fire. We ask them to assume it's irresponsible. It's a danger to other people. He's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or she is, right? Yeah. Those are the assumptions that we ask them to make. And then also like layers of that. Where, where is this at? What time of day is it? What kind of car are they driving? And then what type of person is most likely to be driving in that way, in that location, at that time of day, with that type of car? We're asking them yeah. to do all of those things, right? And so that's why I keep, you know, referring back. It's important to understand what we're asking police to do. Yeah. before we start to talk about what we need, how we need them to fucking do. Does that, am I making any kind of sense? Yeah. We have to be very clear. What are we asking our police officers to do when it comes to protecting and serving us? So when we talk about profiling, we have to talk about, we really want them to, to, to a certain extent profile. Not to a certain extent. We want them to profile. We want them to hunt predators, yeah. right? But what we need to do, if we want to talk about what rules and regulations we need to have for police, we need to have real training for how to recognize 
predators and predatory behavior. And it has to go beyond a skin color. Yes. It has to, you, you, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It has to go beyond that. There ha, you know, there, there, are, there are other aspects to personality, to engagement, to conversation, right? That can tell us someone's intent, even if they're trying to hide it, right? And there are procedures that you can follow to always be safe in a situation. So, you know, it's like, how, what are the, what are, what's the clear step-by-step process for a police officer and, and for an individual, right? To maintain their safety, right? And then what are the behaviors of an individual who is truly a threat and dangerous beyond their attire, right? Um, and, 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 and so, you know, I don't think that police officers get training or have a step-by-step process for really assessing threat and risk level. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. They, 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 we leave that or whatever the police department, cause I don't know if that's society's job. I think that we need to task someone within that realm with the job of, you know, understanding and, 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 uh, what is the fucking, we use the fucking term in the military. Oh God. Something to threat to ascertain the level of threat or whatever. Right. That an individual poses. Right. You know, in the military, they keep it super simple. Right. Uh, age, gun, no gun, height, weight, blah, 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 blah. Gun pointed at me, not pointed at me. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Cause, cause, cause don't get it twisted. Like, like I said, I didn't deploy, but I, I don't lie. People walk around in war zones with big guns and it doesn't mean that they're like trying to shoot you. It doesn't even mean that they're trying to do anything bad, yeah. but they know they live in the fucking wild, wild west. And my big gun is a goddamn deterrent from somebody trying to take my life. And I better have my big gun on me. So I'm going to walk around my streets with my AK 47. It doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. It just means I'm a guy that you don't want to fuck with. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's just, a, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, um, and so, and, and that's, and that's crazy because that guy could be shooting at you, you know, an hour later, but you have to believe that he's just a guy who's just exercising his right to protect himself. Right. Um, and so my, my, again, my, my issue is we're asking them to hunt predators right? We're asking them to profile to a certain extent. We're not giving them the tools necessary to profile appropriately. And so I think the first, if you want to talk about rules that society needs to place on police officers or to to make them better, you don't ask them to be UN peacekeepers because we're not asking them to do that job, right? But you give them more tools and you ask them to know them. You ask them to have to know procedure, like due process, right? You you know, reading somebody their Miranda rights, right? All of that kind of stuff. That's a regular part of policing. You know what I mean? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law, blah, 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 right? That is a part of policing. There also needs to be other mantras, like 
you know, um, just like, you know, put your hands up. Yeah. Hands behind your head, hands behind your back, right? On the ground, turn around, face me, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, those, those are, again, step-by-step -step processes, right? Um, and you can, you know, allocate a threat by, you know, those things and, and how, but mannerisms, pose, you know, tone of voice, right? Um, all of those other things, right? Um, height, weight, size, right? Um, and then you and then you do need ways to check police officers. Like a 220 pound man or a 200 pound man should not be slamming a 105 pound girl unarmed on the ground. Like, you know, violently, right? And there need to be repercussions for that. Now, could he be a good guy that you found on a bad day? Absolutely. But there need to be repercussions for that. Those people cannot get a pass. Yep. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like that, that, that can't, that can't get a pass. Like that has to, that have, there have to be repercussions, whether it's like a financial thing or a suspension or whatever, but, and, 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 or training both to teach them how to handle that situation better. <laughs> like training to teach them, how do I restrain a 115 pound girl, right? <laughs> like you know what I mean or 120 somebody weighs you know that much less than me right and and how do I do so safely right because I guarantee you if you're well enough trained you can fucking you can do it safely yep. you know um it, it, without you know risking great injury and harm so I, I do think I think those those are the, the 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 things we need to take the same things we say about due process or even a principle of innocent until proven guilty, right? I think that's a that's a dangerous one to get into with with police officers, um, because we're not we're asking them not to assume innocence, and you have to be really really clear on that. And I know people fucking hate to hear it, but as a police officer, when you are arresting someone, you're asking them not to presume innocence. And the effect of arresting someone, when I say you're arrested, Jesse, right? I am presuming that you did it. Yes. That is my presumption. And that's what my job is. And then I'll take you to court. My goal then after that is to get you into a courtroom alive, right? It should be, <laughs> right? So that then the judicial system that can take over, right? And they can decide your innocence. Right. But my job is to presume you did it, to assume you did it. Right. And arrest you. Get you off the streets. <laughs> so we have to start about that. So we have to be really, really clear. So I think that's I, I know you guys I know we got time issues, um, but I, I think and so I want that to be the color of this whole conversation. What are you really asking police to do when you say protect and serve? What are you really asking them to do? And then the rules after that, because you're asking them to profile, you're asking them to assume guilt. And then what are the rules after that? 
because then you're asking them to, to to save that person so that they can actually get a fair trial. I like that, Jared. And maybe one of the ways we can wrap this up, I'll ask you this question. I'll ask, also pose it to the group, and then I'll I'll share my my two cents of it first. You can go, and then we'll just re re ask to the group. If you had if you had all the resources in the world, if you had unlimited money, unlimited, unlimited say, basically you could snap your fingers and change it, not necessarily overnight, but in, in do things right away that let's say by the end of the, by the end of 2021, you think would be the overall best way. And there is no restrictions, no pushback at all of what you could do to making policing and crime all those things improve, what would that be? And I'll let you think on that and I'll just share mine real quick. And I invite all of you in the group to do that too. And this isn't something that you necessarily have to explain. It just can be your bullet points. And this can be some stuff we can evolve discussion on because there might be some really great ideas that come from this. And who knows, there might be some collaborative processes that we can take from it. Also, I'll, and I'll restate this at the end, if you're willing to venture offering your ideas and you see somebody doing that, try to acknowledge them. If you want to, if you feel yourself going to the urge of telling them why that wouldn't work or that's not a good idea, try not to, you know, ask them a question instead. Ask them, well, why do you think that? What, what is it about that? Seek again to understand. I don't think this is a situation where any of us have necessarily the right answer or the right answers. This is going to be a collaborative process where we can all, we can all, build this bridge together. And I recognize that some of what I probably will share sounds maybe a little bit far out there to some, it's just one opinion. And so I, I, my challenge to all you is this, is to share your ideas and to acknowledge one another for sharing their ideas and not to police people's ideas, but just to, just to respect them. And then if you want to know more, ask some questions about them instead of just immediately teaching and telling them why that's a bad idea or it wouldn't work. So if I had unlimited resources, if I had full power, full discretion, everything, this is just some of what I do. And I say some to reserve. There's probably a couple of things I will miss saying right now on the spur of the moment on the spot. First thing I do is I would completely change our education system. And why we're learning how to, I think reading and writing is important, but why we're learning how to read and write before we even learn how to communicate with one another, it blows my mind. I would replace the majority of the stuff that we spend a lot of time on, our time on, history, literature, those types of things, with human communication, learning how to empathy, learning how to be compassionate, learning how to love, learning how to ask questions, learning how to, to navigate difficult situations. I would, have, I would have education be more leaning towards life skills than it is learning how to pass tests, which is where I think a lot of it is. So that would be one piece I would do. The second piece I would do is I would, I would, sh it, what I'm not, and again, this is me speaking as someone who doesn't have a familiarity, so this is just my own biased opinion. I would structurally change some of how the police department hires and how it promotes. I would have promotions, merit promotions. So you have a cultural piece built in where you are being rewarded for merit and ethics. That could be things, so this would help, this would help mitigate the problems of bad cops and people not reporting on bad cops. So instead, culturally, there's a reward for reporting when you see people acting, conduct becoming an officer or something like that, that the culture becomes one where it's celebrated instead of it's something that you're supposed to keep hush-hush and hidden. 
that maybe entitles you to a promotion, a, a monetary compensation or some extra vacation time, or maybe it's even stuff that the local community starts to volunteer and donate as a way to thank police officers. It could be a free meal to a, a nice local restaurant or something like that, that we can get community involvement in where we're really, we're really advocating for merit and ethics in it. And, and so doing, we start to create culture shift. Also then too, with that is there has to be just as a clean slate, people who have officers who have repeated histories of violent responses or have documented things on the record, we'd probably get them out if there's not a chance of any sort of rehabilitation. We'd get them out because it's just, it's, you can't have, you know, it's a, a couple bad apples ruin the bunch and to start with a fresh place. And that would be, a, you know, that's a discretionary thing. We could develop systems and things to weed out most of those. And then if we had a cultural merit thing in there, I think that would also help lean against that, lean, lean those ones out. In the short term, I would massively increase the police force, massively increase the police force. And I would send those massive increases of police force into any and all neighborhoods, regardless of skin color, black, white, brown, green, blue, where we have a known crime problem. I think it's going to be very difficult to bring big corporations in and more economic opportunities into neighborhoods where there is a predominance of crime. It's just not going to happen. I, I'm a, if, me as a consumer, I'm not going to go and consume in places where I feel unsafe. And I'm definitely not going to set up a business there. And there's plenty of neighborhoods that are my skin color, as there are probably plenty of neighborhoods that are Jared's skin color. So we can make it not about a race thing. We can just make it about a crime thing. What I would do, though, is a little different. I wouldn't send all those quote-unquote criminals to jail. I would have most of them, because I think most of them are probably doing drugs and those kinds of things like that. I would have them go to a rehabilitation type thing, but it wouldn't be a drug rehab place. I don't necessarily think that would be the case. It would be a humanity rehab type place. It'd be a humanity type rehab place where we'd be actually learning how to see the humanity in one another. Or you'd have, for example, Bloods versus Crips working in partnerships together where they have to help and support one another. And there's models for this out here, out there in the world that have a high success rate where we're able to pair people who are, again, divided by the label, the box, the affiliation that they're placed in. And because of that, they see each other as an enemy. Jared's wearing blue, I'm wearing gray. I'm supposed to kill him because of his blue shirt. He's supposed to kill me because of my gray shirt. But it's just, we, and we have human histories ripe with examples of this. One of the most powerful and prominent ones, I think, is in World War I, this Christmas Day ceasefire. For those of you who are not familiar with this, I'll give you a brief rundown. On the Western Front, you had the Germans on one side, the English, and I believe the French on the other side, right? Now, remember, this is back in trench warfare days where you would dig a hole, you advance closer, and at some point, somebody would blow a whistle, sound a bugle, and you'd jump out of the trench, charge, and kill one another. World War I had, God, I think it was between 20 and 60 million casualties, 20 to 60 million people, and most of that was, much of that was died on the Western Front in trench warfare. Well, the first Christmas of World War I, there was a talk of having a potential ceasefire for it. Now, keep in mind, these are people who have been sworn to kill one another, looking across one another, and they're not seeing black and white. They're seeing prey versus prey, predator versus predator, people who have completely different ideologies, and they're just going to kill them because they speak a different language, they have a different belief system. And even if it's that, right, this is easy again for me to sit here and say this from a place of privilege of not being there. Most of them are doing it because they're just told that's what they're supposed to do because whoever is on top is saying this is what you have to do. And they're just following good orders like good soldiers. The German front, I believe, 
was the first to send Tana bombs or Christmas trees to the front lines around the 22nd or the 23rd. And, you know, there's mutterings on both sides. Is this a trick? Is this not? And, and then eventually there was one group, one side starts to send Christmas carols. And I think it might've been some of the Germans or I can't remember which one, but either way, the other side, many of the Germans had worked with English people so they could understand English language. And they start, and so when they could recognize songs like Jingle Bells and Old Christmas Tree, they started to sing it back. And then finally it was on the 24th or the 25th, whichever one it was, I believe it was someone from the German side or two or three people rose up from the trenches with the white flag and got up and it said in English, you know, I'm going to go to the front. I am unarmed. Who would like to join me? And then a few of the people from the English side did the same thing. And then eventually what happened is you had soldiers from all sides, again, people who were killing each other for all this time leading up to that in the most brutal and barbaric fashions possible are out there on the Western front, no weapons, not viewing each other as predator and predator, prey and prey, German, English, ally or enemy, whatever it is, black, white, you know, all the types of labels we put ourselves in, but they're seeing each other as human beings. And they sit there and they start exchanging pictures of their children. This is my daughter. This is my son. This is my wife. This is, you know, so on. They talk about back home and what they miss the most. They talk about the, they swap foods. Here's traditional English food. Here's traditional German food. And then they get a football out, a soccer ball for those of us in the USA. And they begin to kick it around and play games. And they also engage in the sacred removal, removing the dead. But they're not just dragging them off to each other's side. They're helping one another. The English are helping the Germans. The Germans are helping the English remove their dead and make sure they get back away off the line so they can make it back home to wherever they have to go. Now, the story doesn't just stop there because they're all sitting out there going, well, why the frick are we out here killing one another? Because this person's like me. They're seeing each other's humanity. What the hell is going on here? And so then in many parts on the front line, on the front, they didn't want to kill each other the next day. How are they going to? I just saw Jared. Jared just saw Jesse. It's not some black dude or a white dude that's this bad guy. It's a human being, and he's got kids. He's got hopes. He's got dreams. He's got all this type of stuff, so they don't want to shoot each other. And so then the generals, people removed from the front line, whoever is pulling the puppet strings, so to speak, they start saying, well, you need to get there and kill each other. And so then what happens is they say, well, whichever side says first, we're, we have to shoot at you. So what we're going to do is we're going to shoot high so you duck low. And then the other side says, okay, well, we're going to shoot high and you have to duck low. And that went on. And in some parts of the front, there was a ceasefire essentially until into the new year. And it finally, what ended up happening is the general started to threaten on both sides. If you do not kill that other person, you will be tried for treason and you will be killed. And because we raise in hierarchical structures, we're taught to respect authority, whatever that is and whatever dynamic it is, we went back to killing each other and 20 to 60 million people died after that. So we can do it. If anybody tries to tell you that we cannot get along, it's absolute bullshit because history is rife with reasons. We just have to create the right psychological environment. So I would use this massive police force to pull people out, put them in a place like that where we can start to learn how to see the humanity in one another. The reason I start with education is because I think if we do education, we're going to wipe out the majority of these problems. That's just me maybe being overly idealistic and really anchored in love and hope for people. But I do believe most humanity is good. The ones that wouldn't qualify for that, maybe they're violent or they are done more horrible things. We have some other, we have some other sort of piece too, which I think the prison system then would also be a piece of this where we do massive reform there. 
I think you remove people from who are violent from nonviolent. Nonviolent people, same thing. You go through reform. Now we can be really selective with it. And this is again my biases. People who are going to go rape and do anything with kids, I put them in maybe in a different category. That's my own immediately judgmental bias. And I would probably do some really want to do some medieval stuff on that as a human being. But also as somebody who's going to say, okay, coming from a loving place, it's hard for me to say <laughs> that right there, right? <laughs> but that's just me being real too. And I think that's one of the challenges with this too, is it's like, it's hard for me to say this, but then also acknowledge that there's a part of me to want to do this. You can leave okay. it as a torture piece. It's yeah, okay. yeah. It's all right. right. It's all like, right. Hey. The, just know, let them judge. Yeah, hey, Jesse, yeah, they know, want to judge, they can judge, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then it's like, and so then, and then once you have these people go through and they go through this humanity piece, right? There's another part of this that there's a, there's an educational component of how to do entrepreneurship, how to start your own business, all those types of things. Now, while this is going on and you've had this massive removal of people, you have uh, basically what we could call role models come into the neighborhoods. So we set up a boys and girls center, community center, where there's these really positive, strong male and female role models that come in that will replace the, the parental dynamic that many kids suffer with. And they come in and there's all these community programs that that then has kids nurtured into where they're seeing really strong, positive male and female role models. And they're also helping to facilitate what they're learning at school about communication, problem solving, how we work through differences and talking about hope streams. Kids are learning at a young age what it looks like to start a business, how it learns to budget, make a, you know, all these types of things that cause us the most strife later on in life. They're learning how to deal with those kids. And when eventually those people are gone through whatever it is, six month program, they get put back into the community. Once they're back into the community, they're put in positions. They take over those roles. They have jobs where they can do economic pieces, pieces, all these types of things. If that were to happen, then you'd be able to scale back your police force and the police force be able to be used in a way that it really, I think is intended to be using, which is when really bad stuff happens, they're responding to it, but those are outliers because everybody's been brought up to this educational piece where they're learning how to negotiate conflict. So you'd see a lot of domestic disputes, I think would start to be reduced. People are learning real consequences of drugs and they're also finding other ways to have create economic prosperity. So you'd see that piece start to go away. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's, there's pieces of it where we could do it and we can do it through education and we can do it from a way where police can be empowered to be successful in policing the bad element out. So it creates everyone else a flourish. Anyways, I know I want to give you some time to respond to that and share what you would do if you had the same thing. And also again, for everybody else, what would you like to do? What would you see if you had unlimited resources, complete total power and, and the ability to do that? So first, uh, I want to tell you, it's okay to want to put, it's not okay, but I completely understand wanting to put a certain segment of offenders of the general public good into a eliminate category. Dude. I completely understand it. I completely understand it. It's just like the, um, those guys I just told you about with that girl, like they're out there trying to get her into sex trafficking. And so like, bro, there's a part of me that fully says, okay, like I can look back and take this higher view and say, what was their life? <laughs> everything that led them to their blah, 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 and have empathy and compassion. But then there's also this piece of me in that moment that just wants to say, 
you know, like fuck those motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go and set them over there and get Liam Neeson from Taken 10 minutes alone in a room with them. And, and that be that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, and I, I don't disagree. The only, you know what? The only thing that really fear that you really fear when you say that, or people fear when they say that it's not that it's not that they feel like those people are irredeemable. Right. I feel like, um, in terms of like, oh, I can be understanding of, you know, their life or their past or whatever. I think it's the, I think the fear for people to say things like that is where do you, then once you cross that bridge, where you draw the line? Yeah. Right? Where you, what, then, then what becomes a non, you know, like you can push that to the point where you, you know, killing people who steal a Snickers bar. Yeah. Feeling yeah. justified. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the, that's the scary side of that. But I don't think yeah. many people would argue with you with the whole, like, oh, convicted child molester. Mm. I don't know, buddy. Like, so, but anyway, <laughs> so, um, you know, that's please. Hey, judge, judge, guys, that's fine. Whatever, fuck you. But um, sorry, excuse my language. Apologize. Okay, all right, sorry. Um, that is my typical response when people judge me, though. But anyway, um, so to you know, summarize, that's what human. You said, and I think that's, I think that's good you articulated that because it's a human response, right? And it's something that we can recognize that we do that. That, you know, we, we, we can recognize that we are, our response to judgment, our response to like this one group of people. Like, I think part of this thing with you, Jared, is for us is like, it gives us this error to just kind of share this part of our humanness. Yes. Right? And well, so- well, there's- that's the whole reason why this comp- this this conversation is so complex is because police officers are humans. Yes. Right? And I think they're the one job because it because we place so much direct power in their hands, they're the one job where we we forget their humanity. And part of that is because of the power that we've imbued them with. We expect so much of them, right? Yes. And that we forget the human piece. And so we've been getting a lot of, con- you know, a lot of arguments about what job is most dangerous or blah, 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 or whether or not, you know, we should applaud police or we should whatever, right? And they're the only job where you need to be, we really expect you to be better than human. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, doctors make mistakes, lawyers make mistakes, firefighters are always heroes <laughs> right you know um you know ambulance people are almost always heroes right you know um even though they don't get applauded nobody you know, nobody tells you they're an emt right and you're and you're like really you do that <laughs> like, you're like, what a fucking asshole right nobody says that right <laughs> must be a dick <laughs> right? nobody nobody responds like like that right but you tell people you're a cop you might get oh he's a fucking dick yeah i know you were you were fucking bullied as a child right now yeah, you know yeah. What I'm saying? like whatever right so um i don't i don't want to dig on that, on that side thing because i don't think i think that's a destructive communication uh, conversation but um from what you said um i agree with you about flooding neighborhoods with police but i'm gonna say two things that people won't like right one the first thing you have to have that hiring process that 
you know, rules of operation, right? Yeah. Clear, like what is the correct way to actually profile and judge and assess danger, right? Yeah, so hiring better, profiling better, merit-based promotions and all this other kind of stuff. All three of those things have to really be implemented before you can flood those areas with police. Yes. And so here's the fucking thing that's really going to hurt you guys' feelings is that needs to be a generational plan. That needs to be a 20-year process, most likely. And that's the way I see it. I think people want change now, and it just does not work that way. You can begin to implement a step, right? But you can be, so first step is to come up with steps, right? Second step is implementation and execution, right? Implementation and execution across a large organization takes time. It takes time. And when you're talking about an organization like the police, it takes a good amount of time to even see if you did the right things, right? You can, you can do it. It's not, like, it's not like a business, right? Where we're looking at revenue year over year over year over year over year, right? We have some statistics, but not enough to within two years or one year know if we did the right things. It's probably going to take us five years, 10 years to even know if what we did was right, right? And then another 10 years to ramp that shit up. So it's, 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 um, so I, and, and like I said, people will, I think a lot of people think about 20 years, well, what's the point? Right. And I think that's a that's a fundamental problem with humans of today. Right. <laughs> yeah. With humans of today is that we are so instant gratification, things need to change now, blah, 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 blah. But again, when we start to talk about human beings and human beings in groups and how we operate in groups, right? You don't change that overnight. Yeah. The first However many, I don't know how many years it was, but board to what? Oh, God, Jared. Oh. To versus Topeka Board of Ed, Education. Goodness gracious. Ended segregation schools. Currently separate and unequal. Oh, God damn it. Fuck. Somebody versus shit, 1957. Anyway, 1957, <laughs> segregation was effectively ended in the United States. It took, it took, I probably, I think they were still integrating schools in the, in the, in the mid 1960s. And I think, it, matter of fact, I think the last school was like integrated sometime in the 1970s. You, 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 you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Ruling the end segregation took 10 plus years. And I mean, that was like, that was like a, a real, like, I mean, that wasn't even like, it wasn't ambiguous. It wasn't, you know, this little, it wasn't a whole bunch of leeway. It was colored versus non-colored, right? Colored only versus, you know what I mean? Whites only, right? Yeah. That took, you know, damn near 10 years to be implemented and executed upon. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And they tried, and I mean, it, you know, to the point of putting troops on the ground and, you know, releasing the National Guard and all this other kind of stuff, right? It took a lot of time. So when you talk about changing the police force, which we both agree is mostly good and mostly does a good job, right? You don't want to destroy that because it mostly does a good job, yes. right? And so you need to make incremental improvements to it. And then to judge if those improvements are working out right, it's going to take time because you're dealing with human beings. Yes. And no matter what the fuck you think, excuse my language, guys, in terms of instant gratification, right? Humans don't change overnight. Matter of fact, a lot of people believe that people don't change at all. People do change, but a lot of people believe that people don't change at all. You know why? Because you don't change in a day. You don't change. Hell, most people can't even start a weight loss program and change fast enough to, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to see. Even though they'll change, they'll be yeah. changing. They want I guarantee you, if you don't work out and you start working out, yeah. you're going to start changing. Yeah, they want but 30 you pounds might not... six-pack abs in two days. Yes, right? You know what I mean? Just, and that's a super simple change. We're not talking about habit, real like habits, belief systems, the way that you communicate with other people, right? All of that stuff, it takes sense. You need guidelines yeah. so that you can follow them. But then if you don't have the guidelines to go back to, you probably fall back into your own habits. You have to instill it. You have to institute it. And it takes time once it's instituted to be implemented and then executed effectively, right? I think and I believe that all police officers value the responsibilities of their job and their position. That's what I believe. I believe that nobody signs up to, to be a cop with, don't get me wrong. Okay, so, so I won't say nobody. Some people sign up to be a cop because a job that they know that they can get, right? But I think most of them accept the duty to protect and to serve, right? Um, then I think just like everybody else, people, they get jaded, they get, you know, whatever. And, you know, they fall into all the other trappings that people fall into because yeah. they're human beings. But I do think if you give them criteria to protect and serve better, most of them will accept it, right? And the, and the, and the, a cop typically is a very orderly person. Okay, we don't we don't want to get into into. The, I said we yeah. wouldn't do that because Jamie asked the question about personality typing well, of of cops. So I won't I won't I won't. I gotta stay away from that. Yeah, we gotta wrap <laughs> it up. we gotta wrap it up too with just timing, and I wanna. I also want to quickly acknowledge Patricia's ask about mental health. Like I, I think it'd be really incredible to see options in when you're going through police Academy that you could go a, a traditional yes. cop route or a mental health route. And then so yes. you end up having right through all this is you have, when you have cops in tandem partnerships, one is trained specifically in this aspect of policing. One is trained specifically in an aspect that's focused on mental health. And so then you have this dynamic duo, right? Of it. I was going to say that. We will, we, so everyone, first of all, we know this is kind of a long one and we do have to jump off. We could probably keep, obviously keep going forever. There's a lot here to unpack. And first of all, we want to thank all of you for sticking with us through this. And this is, there's, there's a lot, and this is going to be an ongoing conversation. 
again, it's a convenience that we both acknowledge that we can sit here from this place and, and offer up these different ideas without having to go through and take into consideration all these other factors. And it's, this, is, this is kind of spitballing right now, right? So I invite all of you yes. to contribute. What would be, if you could see anything, and it could be one thing, it could be 50 things, in the changing in the police department, what would you like to see? If you want to offer up a why, you can definitely do that. If you just want to offer bullet points, that's totally fine too. If you see, again, I'm going to reiterate this. If you see somebody offering that up, please acknowledge them for that. If you want to know more, ask them to know more. Yes. Do not try to debate somebody for their opinion or their belief system or immediately disagree with them or devalue what they're thinking. Because remember, every person in this group is a human being that's had their own human experience. And they're offering, they're honoring the same pledge that all of us are, that we're trying our best to do this, do this here from a very human point of we're all trying to build a collective bridge and, and move these conversations beyond race relations and elevate the collective consciousness of humanity, the mission statement that is binding all of us together help one another elevate consciousness and move the advance the conversation by asking questions, not trying to teach by, by acknowledging instead of debating. And if there's openness for debate, if they're interested in discussing it, ask them if they are, ask them if they are, but we want to make people feel safe because we need to have more voices contributing and, and because we're all going to be sharing in this world together. And if, if the dynamic ends up becoming dominated by just a few we're going to have what we have in the out in the world where we have talking heads speaking on behalf of all of us, which most of us don't really like that dynamic as it is right now. So, so we can all be the change that we wish to see in the world by empowering and supporting one another. And so please share your opinions. I'm excited to hear about what each of you think. And if you want to disagree with Jared and I, that's totally fine too. You can tell us that we're, we're happy to engage in dialogues with you. All right, but I would challenge you that to disagree with us, ask us questions first. Ask us why we believe that. Why do you think that? Why do you think that's this way or that way? Rather than just telling us we're wrong or we're nothing else. Not to say that anybody else is, is doing it. I'm just using language right now to make a dramatic point that there's an opportunity here, right? So, yeah, I, I know you got to go, and I got to go too. I yeah. got to be somewhere. But I just wanted to touch on what you said. Um, remember the story of the trenches. Yes. Right? What they got up and did was when they went to talk and they, they got up, they waved the white flag and walked into no man's land. So when someone says something that you disagree with, right? I'm fine with you disagreeing with them, right? But yeah, white flag sounds so shady, but I want you to journey into no man's land, mm. right? And that is the goal, right? Is to meet them there, learn them, and understand why they feel the way they feel, right? And then from that point, you can continue to disagree. I don't, I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I want you, I want you to be able to voice the fact that you don't agree with somebody, but learn the why first. And I think that's what Jesse is saying, right? The why. Learn the person, understand the person, their values, why they're saying what they're saying, right? And then you can say, oh, well, I can understand why you feel that way. Yes. This is how I feel. Yes. And this is why, right? Yes. And then you're having a, the constructive communication piece, right, that we keep talking about. And, and you're, you're, you're in no man's land. You're building that fucking bridge. 
Yes. Right? And, and, and you may not, that doesn't mean that you come to agree, right? That doesn't mean that you come to 100% agreement. Like no Englishman was becoming a German. No German was becoming an Englishman. They weren't, you know, but they were, they were able to see how we are alike, yeah. right? And, and it essentially, essentially ended the fighting until, you know, other people said, well, no, we, we can't, we can't yeah. allow this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but that's what, so that's it. So personal conversation is a journey into no man's land. Love and that. I think that's what me and Jesse are both trying to do when we speak to each other is we're trying to stand in no man's land and, and have a conversation. You know, I might go back home at the end of the night, but you know, I, I think I can, I can be here and we can converse. Dude, that was perfect. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will see you next time for another conversation. We look forward to engaging with you in the group. Take care. Yes.